Henry Hines was uh, a man who created one of the most recognizable brands anywhere in the world. And as we look at one of his products, all of us have at one time or another had his ketchup in our refrigerator. When he died and his will was read, it contained this confession. And I want you to listen to what he wanted, all of his relatives and family, and anyone gathered on that momentous occasion to hear what was in his will. This is what he wrote. Looking forward to the time when my earthly career will end, I desire to set forth at the very beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I also desire to bear witness to the fact that throughout my life, in which there were unusual joys and sorrows, I've been wonderfully sustained by my faith in God through Jesus Christ. This legacy was left me by my consecrated mother, a woman of strong faith, and to it I attribute any success I have attained. Of all the things that this famous man could have credited for his success, it was his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he singled out. And that personal relationship with Christ was the legacy. Think about this. It was the legacy that his mother lived before him. How do you have a legacy like that that makes an impact on the life of other people? Well, this morning, we are coming to the conclusion of the life of Abraham. And as we come to the last section about his life, Genesis 25, I simply want to bring a message as we look at the events surrounding his death entitled, Leaving a Lasting Legacy. Is there anyone here this morning who doesn't want this? Is there anyone at the end of our lives who would say, I don't really care whether my life has made a difference or not? I think we all want to leave a lasting legacy, whether it's large or whether it's small. And so how do we do that? Well, Abraham teaches us this morning. We're going to learn a couple of things from the end of his life that are key to the legacy we will leave to the next generation. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me now to Genesis chapter 25. And I want to begin with the very first thing that we are taught by this remarkable career and life of this friend of God, Abraham. And here's the first thing that we learn about leaving the right kind of legacy. We have to take responsibility for the next generation. As you think this morning uh, about the next generation, whether it's your family or the young people growing up in this church, if we want to leave the right legacy, we have to take responsibility for them. Now notice what verses 1 through 6 say of Genesis 25, and let's read what the Word of God tells us. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. 
She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lechishim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, these would have been Hagar and Keturah, who were legitimate wives, yet in a lower status than his first wife, Sarah, Abraham gave gifts to their sons. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. Now what's going on here is Abraham is taking responsibility for the next generation. And I want you to notice, as we consider that in our own lives, there are two commitments that we have to make if we are going to do the same thing. Here's the first one. Live faithfully ourselves before the next generation. That's always the key. Christianity is caught as much as it is taught. And what the next generation needs is the older generation to live faithfully before them all throughout their Christian life. Now, it surprises us as we open this chapter to learn <clears throat> that Abraham remarried. He had a second family after Sarah died, and the details are somewhat surprising. Uh, Abraham lived 38 years after Sarah died. He was 175, we're going to read in a moment, when he died. Think about what that means. At his youngest, he was 137 when he married Keturah. And she gave birth to six sons, and then there are grandsons that are also listed, which means she was in her childbearing years. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Abraham could have easily been 100 years older than his second wife. And, and I want to just say, in, in our day, we'd kind of say, this doesn't really look too good. Um, when Charlie Chaplin was 54, he married his fourth wife, and she was 18 years of age. And 36 years difference in age, we would really kind of look askance at that. And as we look at this, we, we might feel the very same way. We might say, Abraham, what are you doing with a woman 100 years younger than you are and having six more kids? But we know this is Abraham. And at this stage of his life, it's very clear with all that he's learned, he's not trying to tarnish his legacy. He's not a foolish old man who's going off the deep end. And so we have to say, what in the world is going on? Well, I think Martin Luther gave the best answer God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And the reason he remarried was to see God fulfill that promise. 
Now, we have seen this all throughout Abraham's life as we've studied these 14 chapters. And remember these promises that the Lord made to him. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Look toward the heaven and number the stars. So shall your offspring be. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into, what's the last word? Nations. Nations. Now, a question comes up here. How is it possible that Abraham was able to father children at this age? Especially in light of what the Apostle Paul says about him as he contemplated the miracle birth of Isaac when he was 100 years old. Look at what Romans 4 has to say. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Hey, if he was reproductively dead at 100, he certainly was at 137. Was this a miracle? Was this a miracle that he fathered six more sons with his second wife? Well, Pastor Aurelius Augustine thought so. He believed that divine restoration was imparted to the body of Abraham by the miracle-working God so that Abraham could fulfill the promises that many nations would come from him. You see, up until this point, Abraham has only two sons. He has Ishmael and Isaac. So he now remarries, believing that God would fulfill his word. You will note as you're reading through this section that Abraham's death is uh, framed by two genealogies. The sons of Keturah are listed before his death, and then the sons of Ishmael after his death. So what is very clear here is Abraham is not a lonely old man who is rebounding and remarrying, but he's living by faith, and God is blessing him because of that faith. Abraham is finishing well. That's what's happening. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What are the signs of a Christian who is finishing well? If we're all here today and we say, you know, I, I want to leave the right kind of legacy, I want to finish well, how would we know what it looks like if you are finishing well? Well, Robert Clinton preached a message <clears throat> entitled, Seven Habits of Effective Church Leaders. And he said there are three signs of a church leader who is finishing well. And here are those signs. At the end of their lifetime, three things remain true of them. They still have a close relationship with God. They are still learners. And they have left behind a legacy 
and ultimate contribution. As we look at these, what we could say is all of them could be said of Abraham. He certainly was learning when he took Isaac up on that mountain. And God taught him in that experience. So all of these things were true in his life. And here's the question. Are these things true of me? Are they true of you? If you're 20 years old, is this true of you? 30. If you're 50 years old, are these things characteristic of your life? 70. If you're 90 years old, do you still have a close relationship with God? Are you still learning His ways? And have you left behind a legacy? An ultimate contribution. You see, this is how we take responsibility for the next generation. Now, notice the second commitment that is involved in taking this responsibility. It is to help the next generation live faithfully themselves. It is to come alongside of them so that now that they are taking over and running the race, they can live faithfully as well. In verses 5 and 6, Abraham knew that God's promised blessing was through Isaac. He knew of all of his sons that Isaac was to be the leader. And I want you to notice what he did in verses 5 and 6. Verse 6 says, while he was still living... While he could still use his influence on his family. Verse 5 says, he gave all that he had to Isaac. Literally, it is he deeded it to Isaac. He settled the inheritance before he died. And then verse 6 says, he gave other gifts to his other sons. He loved them. And he didn't want jealousy, so he probably gave them flocks and herds so they could start their own ranches. And then in verse 6, he sent them away eastward to the east country. He wanted no interference. He did not want them to usurp the leadership from Isaac, so he sent them a safe distance away. If we could sort of paraphrase what Abraham was thinking, it might be something like this. Boys, I love you. You're my sons. But Isaac is God's man. So I want you to go settle elsewhere. You see, Abraham was helping Isaac so that he would be ready to live for God himself when Abraham was gone. He was helping him live faithfully for the Lord himself. You know, a question that ought to come to all of us who have been walking with the Lord for a period of time is, 
How can we help the next generation live faithfully for God? One of the great strengths and blessings here at Bethel is we have all the generations in this church. We have the old all the way down to the young. We are blessed to have that kind of a congregation. And if we are the older generation, what do we do to help the next generation live faithfully? Well, let me give you just a few ideas. Number one, take an interest in younger people. Do you know what it takes to minister to young couples or to young singles? It takes three things. An interest in them, time for them, and just being their friend. I can tell you of young couples and young singles who are thriving today because older couples took them under their wing and did those three things. And let me just say this, if you are a younger person here today, get to know older believers in the church whom you admire and look up to. They have so much to give. They will enrich your life, and they will enrich the life of your children. I read just recently that young people that grow up and stick with their faith, it is often because they had relationships in the church with older believers, and so they embrace the entire congregation instead of just their peer group. Here's the second thing we can do. Let them know you are praying for them. Over the years, I've had people say this to me. Pastor, we pray for you every day. What? You mention my name before God every day? No wonder I've survived 38 years in the ministry. I remember a dear lady who could no longer do anything because she was in her advanced years. She couldn't do the ministry she did. And she came to me one day and she said, Pastor, I can't do what I used to do. All I can do is pray. And I just thought, my goodness, that's the best you can do for me. Pray for young people. Number three, encourage the younger generation to get involved. Do you know Ellen started teaching Sunday school when she was 18 years old? An older woman in the church took her under her wing and encouraged her. And when we got ready to decide, okay, what's going to be the last month for us in our period of transition here at Bethel, this is what Ellen said to me, let's make it June so I can finish teaching my kids. That vision she caught at 18 years of age because an older experienced teacher encouraged her. And then number four, be positive about your Christian life and your church. The younger generation needs joyful, enthusiastic, positive role models. 
Like we saw up here on the platform earlier today. Amen? This morning? Amen. There's so much negativity in our world. So much complaining about all that is going wrong. This is what I will say. You will never forget an older Christian who is still thrilled about serving Jesus. You will never forget them. I think of all the older Christians that come to my mind right now who right up to the end were thrilled in serving Jesus. That's what the younger generation needs. And so Abraham was strategic. He was leaving a legacy. Now, there's a second thing that, that he did that is very vital for us as well. And the second thing that he did was this. Live so you will be satisfied at death. Who again doesn't want this? Who again at the end of their life doesn't want to say, with all my failures, weaknesses, and mistakes, as death is approaching, and I may know that it's coming, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. My old professor Warren Wearsby died just a couple of years ago at 90 years of age. Look at what he said. How few people really experience joy and satisfaction as they reach old age. When they look back, it's with regret. When they look ahead, it's with fear. And when they look around, it is with complaint. How sad that is. No one here wants to end up this way in your Christian experience. And here's the good news for us. Whatever age we are at right now, we can always start doing the same two things that Abraham did. Regardless of how we've lived up until now, whatever our age is, we can start a new path so that however soon death comes, we can say, I'm satisfied. And notice these two things, again, that Abraham did and what he teaches us. Live satisfied because... You did the will of God. Regardless of the failures that crept into your life, you were focused on doing God's will. Look at verse 7 with me, and, and let me read down to verse 10. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. 
Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of, Zo- the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. In the Old Testament, the phrase, a good old age, was evidence of God's blessing. It's more than that you just lived a long time. It's focusing not simply on quantity, but quality, and it means God had blessed your life. And then, when verse 8 says, he was full of years, that means satisfied with life. Abraham was pleased. Because he could say the will of God was accomplished. You want to know what? This is the Bible's way of saying it doesn't get any better than this. This is the way to die well. That your life was focused on accomplishing the will of the Lord. And then I want you to notice the second part of this, number two. Live satisfied, you helped others do the will of God. You see, if we want to die satisfied as a Christian, have we taught others what the will of God is? By the way we lived. By the ministries we carried out. And have we helped them so that now knowing what the will of God is, they're committed to doing it as well. Look at verse 11 and notice what it says. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lahairoi. Now there are two very important things in verse 11 that we do not want to miss. God blessed Isaac. What did we just read? Abraham died with a full life, a good old age. God had blessed him. Now he blesses Isaac. And then Isaac began living near Be'er Lahairoi. That's a very important place because at Be'er Lahairoi, that was where prayer was answered. Remember when Hagar was out in the wilderness? She thought her son was going to die. She prayed. God met her and answered that prayer. Do you remember as Isaac is out in the field and he is meditating as the servant is 450 miles away finding a wife for him and he and Abraham and the family, they're praying that the right woman would be selected. The Bible says that when Rebekah came and saw him for the first time, he was at Be'er Lahairoi, the place of answered prayer. Now that dad is dead, where does Isaac go? He goes to the place of answered prayer, the place where God was found. Abraham had influenced Isaac's life, and now Isaac was living for God as well. 
See, that's how we die well. If we want to die satisfied, live satisfied, we did the will of God ourselves. And live satisfied because we taught others what the will of God is. And we assisted them. So that when we were taken away, they knew how to live for the Lord, how to walk with the Lord, and how to please the Lord. Many years ago, I was with a group of people and we were given an exercise to do that was one of the most significant exercises I think I've ever participated in. We were given a sheet of paper with the outline of a diamond on it. And on the upper part of the diamond in the lines like you can see here, we were told, write the qualities that God has built into your life. Qualities like faith, love, kindness, patience, steadfastness. And then on the lower part of the diamond, we were told, write the names of the people God used to build those qualities into your life. And the names just come. As you think about your own diamond, the names of those key people come to you. Now I have two questions for all of us today. And these questions are this. Whose names would you write on the lower part of your diamond? Who are those people that impacted you? And then question two. Who would write your name on the lower part of their diamond? Who have you impacted? See, that is a life that is well lived. A life that has received from those who have gone before us. And then a life that has passed on to those who are coming behind us. And when we die that way, we have impacted the next generation. And we can die satisfied. Let's ask the Lord to help us do those very things. Would you bow before me?
As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're just before the Lord for a few moments. However you've lived up until this time, you can begin to live in a way that will leave the right legacy from this day forward. And who is the next generation that God has called you to? Will you make a commitment to influencing their life? And what is the will of God that is still for you to accomplish? Will you make a commitment to completing that? Will you say, Lord, by your grace, I will continue to pursue a close relationship with you. I will continue to learn and grow. And I will seek to make an ultimate contribution. No matter how big or small. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hear our prayers for your sake. Amen.